Over here, I want you to crack open your notes. And we're in chapter 5, and we're going to hit the... Hit some of the high points here of chapter 5. And we've been jumping off of Ephesians chapter 5 and looking at the mystery of Christ. And it's not a mystery that's hidden. It's a mystery that's been revealed of how God has hooked us up with him. We were disconnected and now we're connected back with him. And it is an incredible thing. And, and Paul just chews on this idea of the mystery. And so when we looked at one, two, three, one, two, and 3... We saw all of who Christ is for us and, and what God is in our relationship with him. And then in 4, 5, and 6, we begin to see the practical things of how we begin to live this relationship out with God. We are living out the mystery that we are connected back with God in our lives. Reflect that fact that we're now new creations. That mystery is being fleshed out. And that's where we are. We talked about that last week and we're in the middle of that again. So just break open your notes and we've been jumping off with this thought every week that as we study the letter to the Ephesians, we see God's heart towards humanity revealed. And right here in the very beginning, we see this idea of imitating God and seeing in Christ, we're God's children and we're created in his image. And it's only natural that we should imitate our father. It's just, it's just absolutely natural. Now, I just recently, not, no telling how many times my children have done impersonations of me. Who knows, behind closed doors or whatnot. But a, a few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to witness my oldest son doing an impersonation of me. And um, uh, anyways, we had, uh, he just completed driver's ed. And I've been, you know, driving around with him, trying to, to help him hone his skills because one day I'm going to trust him with the value that he is to me and that he would protect himself. That's right, son. I'm talking about you, boy. And uh, anyways, and so I, I did not, I wanted to be a lot cooler and calmer about it than my dad was. My dad really freaked me out whenever I was first learning to drive and I wanted to handle it so much more smooth than that. And I guess obviously I'm an imitator of my father as well as my son did this imitation of me. But while, when he was doing this imitation, we were driving after church one day and uh, he had one of his best buddies with him and he was showing how I did. And it was this, this blend of, of terror, rage, and encouragement. And I'm not sure how I got all of those pieces together, but he would just act like he was driving and I was driving and he was being me to me. And uh, so he'd be sitting there and he would just go, be all would be cool and you're doing good, you're doing good, you're doing good. What are you doing? Accelerate. No, go, go, go. And what's sad is that really happened. I had a moment at one point on Bryant that I wanted to lay hands on my own head and cast something out of me. Because I'm telling you, I was screaming like I have never screamed before. But when you're in a vehicle that you have no control over and people are barreling up on you and my son was in some other place. It's not a video game, son. You don't hit the reset button and they put the car back together. And so I'm screaming and he goes from that to a, ah, to, oh, good job. Good job. Good job. Turn! 
Wonderful. Nice turn. That was good. That's good. That's good. And as he's, do, he's doing this impersonation of me, I'm getting this, uh, these, these glimpses of, my, uh, of my, myself. And sadly, they were pretty, pretty close. But see, Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. See, we are dearly loved. And as we understand that we're dearly loved, that we can easily begin to imitate our Father, imitate those who have this impact on our lives. And uh, just this week, my, uh, my youngest son um, shared with us, I shared with this in uh, our new members class, but that he has this desire to go into ministry. And uh, I'm telling you, as we're you know, driving, down, driving down the road, and it's just me and him in the car, and I was asking him, I said, so son, what do you want to do? He's seven years old. And I, and I said, uh, he said, well, I want to be a missionary. And I'm like, you know, I start getting all choked up. He's wanting to, to, you know, the ministry and give himself, you know, fully to God. And then he says, I just really believe that uh, when I get older, God has something big for my life. I'm like, Wah! I'm like starting to cry and get all teared up. And I can't see anymore. I need a little windshield wipers for my eyeballs. And it was, just, it was just amazing that here he is at seven years old and recognizing that and, and saying it. And I'm telling you, it blessed my heart that as my dearly loved child that he is showing these ideas that, that these little hints of what we've been praying for him are coming out in his life. God loves it when we begin to act like him. And this isn't, this isn't the first time this pops up in Scripture. We look back at Leviticus chapter 19. And the Lord tells Moses, speak to the entire assembly. He says, tell everybody, this is for everybody, all of Israel, and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Begin to imitate me in this. And of course, there's this whole thing of learning what true holiness is and, and what it's not. But there's this idea of walking and being like our Father God. Jesus said in Matthew, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then in Luke, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And Paul, right at the end of chapter 4, which remember there were no chapters. He didn't go, okay, now I'm going to write verse 1 of, we put this in here so we could find things later. And it's just one thought flow. In the last verse, right before he gets into being imitators, in chapter 5, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's our standard. We begin to imitate. We don't forgive like we've been forgiven by others. We don't go, okay, I'm going to say I'm sorry because you've said you're sorry. No, it's, I'm going to begin to operate in forgiveness just like God forgave me in Christ. That becomes our standard. We begin to imitate that. We begin to live out of that. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we see that it's a which way forward from here kind of chapter. We have a, a couple of ideals here at Celebration Church. The first one is where are you? You have to open up to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit talk to you about where you are. And then once the Holy Spirit reveals that, He doesn't just leave you there. He doesn't just lay it all out and say, well, there you are, sorry. No, there is this which way forward from here. And we're all moving. We're all coming to Christ from a little bit different angle and the Holy Spirit is going to move us forward from wherever we are and this is a which way forward from here kind of chapter and one of the first things we see we see a number of things we're to walk in it's the it's this 
move forward ideal, this, this forward motion, this progress ideal. And we see that first and foremost, we are to walk in love. See Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 and it says, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This idea of our love being connected to just as Christ gave himself up. There is this element of self-sacrifice in love. You can't get around it. You can't say you love something you don't push your own desires down for. You cannot say you love your spouse if all you are is ever about yourself. You may like their presence. You may think they're good looking. You may enjoy whenever they fit into your schedule. But if you're not willing to push down what you prefer and elevate what's better for them, that love has not really shown itself. We confuse preference with love. People say, I love pumpkin pie. You can't love a pie. Can't love some love is reciprocal. It, it grows, it goes back and forth. It comes back and forth. You can't love something that doesn't love you back. You know, you can love a puppy, it loves you back. It, it shows its affection, it shows its care and in its capacity. But we, we think preference and we use the word love there, and that's it's just not the case that we have to do this laying down. Now, as we imitate love, as we imitate God, love ought to automatically show up because it's one of his attributes. It's how he's defined it. It says in 1 John, whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. If we're going to imitate God, ground zero launching place is love. Okay? You try to get off over in this holiness perfection stuff and you don't start at love, Man, you're going to end up with a bunch of rules and you're going to be just a, another mean Christian somewhere. But you start with love, then what those other things do, those life-giving things, they begin to coach that person up and begin to bring the best out of them. That's what God is doing for us. That's why he can say these things to us because he loves us. Okay? See, God is... And there is this laying down of ourselves Ephesians 5:21 says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because we love Christ so much that we're going to think about each other we're going to prefer each other we're going to submit to each other instead of trying to get the upper hand over one another and try to hold each other down we're going to try to elevate each other this submission is this idea of getting low and allowing this other person to be big you know what? It ought to be a wonderful thing in your heart if, if you make everybody else bigger in, their, in your life. You just ought to help push everybody up. There's this idea of submitting to one another, this idea of, of not forcing our own will on somebody else's, but in, embracing what's best in their life. See, and then now we're about to get into some, uh, some touchy places in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 5 is... Uh, Begins to deal with husbands and wives, okay? Now, I realize not everybody is a husband or a wife in here, okay? But these principles transcend, all right? But let's look at Ephesians 5, 33. It says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
here again is there's this love issue. And love like you love yourself. Like you're going to take care of yourself. You begin to take care of your wife. And the wife must respect her husband. Okay, now this sounds like, like two, two different things. But really when you think about it, they're both, they both represent how we reflect our devotion to God. Okay, there are, there's a part of where we understand that God is awesome. Okay, that we understand the fear of the Lord. Okay, that is the respect part of our response to God. And then we all like to fall over into the love ushy gushy part of our response to God. Okay, but both of them are real. God really is awesome. And when C.S. Lewis wrote, you know, in, in, there in the in the Chronicles of Narnia, that the Aslan is a he is a, a good lion, but not a tame lion. Okay, that our God is a good God, but not a tame God. He's not our pet God. Okay, He is awesome. He is powerful. He's the God of the universe. We will stand before Him. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. And that ought to that understanding ought to create this respect. A wonderful, awesome thing. Okay? But there's also this aspect of love that's there. That he cares for us. And why we would not just think of him and go, wow, I just love him. I just love God. He loves me. There's both of these things. And see, with men, we tend to fall into where, where this respect thing is a little easier for us. In fact, there's this little phrase, kind of carnal phrase, that, that these macho kind of men or leaders will say that I would rather be feared than loved. Okay? That's really what it's saying. It's not really like quaking in your boots. It's I would really rather, what the undertone of that is, I'd rather be respected than thought, oh, you're so awesome and sweet and cuddly and cushy and I want to snuggle to you. You know, that's, this respect factor carries a higher weight within a man. That respect, you can also say with men, it's man love. It's the way, because I tell you what, a man, as a little boy's growing up, or they, they have that little pecking order thing that mamas hate, you know, and they're like, why can't we just all be squishy and we'll love you with each other? Well, no, it's, they're, they're getting respected. There's this need to be respected as an individual. It is created in there by, by God. It doesn't have to be become this dominating power ugly thing. It can be a, a wonderful, beautiful, healthy thing. And so as we've got both of these things in here, they're both an aspect of our, ultimately, our relationship with God. Now, as we see this, okay, we see this men, we need to love our wives. Wives are to respect our husbands, okay? Now, we're going to get into something right here right quick. With love, okay, we have in our culture this concept of unconditional love, okay? We, we throw the phrase around. We try to gra grapple with it. We know that maybe it's something that should exist. We have this idea of unconditional love, that you can love somebody who isn't acting lovable okay now the thing is on the other side of the coin because you see in this scripture it says you each you must love your wife 
there is that unconditional, that must love, that unconditional love that's connected. What we don't have in our culture is the, uh, the concept of the other side of the coin of the, uh, this unconditional respect. We always have this idea that respect is conditional. I can love you unconditionally, but respect is conditional. Now, and that is part of what can become in and can begin to be divisive in a home. Because just like sometimes a wife won't act lovable, but still needs to be loved, sometimes a man won't act respectful and still needs to be respected. Like, how, how does that work? Folks, it only works in Christ. It only works in Christ. It only works in this place of trying to pursue the best and believe the God potential in the other one. Now you recognize this is in this is in marriage relationship, okay? This is in this is in this thing. But husbands are to do this and wives are to do this. You know, see that we've heard this idea that behind every great man is a great woman. You know what? I bet a lot of the times, most of the time, the woman was great first. And she just helped elevate him into greatness. I tell you what, when Cutie and I were, were dating in this time period, I tell you what, she just would just lavish the respect. Oh, my man is this, my man is this. He can do anything. He can do all this. I'm telling you, I mean, just, yeah, that's right. You know, I'd drive every weekend to Odessa. I mean, if I had four hours to see her, I'd go see her and turn around and come back. I mean, it didn't matter. And then me, all I would think about was, was her, especially whenever I was there. And it was just, she loved all of the attention and the devotion and the love. And those two core ingredients were there as we were, God was uniting us and bringing us together to be a family. See, Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. There is this respect thing, Okay that I can support you in your decision-making. I can help in this thing. And then we look at the other side of the coin, because if both of these things are in operation, the one we have to do is easy, okay? It's easy for a wife to submit to her husband if he's doing 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How easy is it for a wife to submit to the, to the ideas of a husband or to the direction he's like, I want to go with this with a family, if she knows he's thinking about her. He's going, man, how can I make my family better? How can I make this life better for my wife? How can I do? Well, of course, she's like, you're, you're pushing this. You're working this hard. Of course, I want to help you in this. But if all of a sudden he begins to, everything, everything he does is selfish, it begins to get in the way. That's why these two things work in tandem and it's easier for a husband to begin uh, for a husband to love his wife when he feels supported by his wife these things work together we walk in love that's what this chapter is just speaking life into us it's not this heavy-handed suppression thing it's loving each other and supporting each other oh my gosh the next thing we see is walk in the light John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, And then Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. See, if we're going to imitate God, imitate Jesus, then 
He is the light. Then he tells us that we are the light. And then in Ephesians 5, 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are in light. Live as children of the light. That's where we're supposed to live. We're supposed to avoid the whole darkness issue. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. See, there is this wonderful thing where we have to make sure we don't mess with the things that, as believers, we're not supposed to mess with, okay? Because, for one thing, there's this beautiful thing called grace, where God creates this protection around us. He doesn't want us ensnared, all right? But Pastor John Holler, who we had before come and speak, he gave a wonderful illustration. And, man, I've been seeing pumpkins everywhere all the time. And uh, so I was reminded of this illustration where he talked about how these Indians would... The Native Americans would catch these ducks. They'd be out on the river, just floating around and whatnot, and they would catch these ducks. And they would go and they'd get a big old pumpkin, and they'd let it out upstream and let it float downstream. And the first time it comes downstream, boy, the ducks just, they just scatter. And they wait, and they come back, and they settle down again. Then they let another pumpkin go, and they come through, and they scatter, but they don't go as far. And then they do the process again, and pretty soon they just kind of, swim away for, from it, and if they do the process enough times, pretty soon that pumpkin's just bouncing its way through these ducks because they finally have established the idea that pumpkins don't hurt ducks. We don't have to be afraid of this. Pumpkins don't hurt ducks. So once they get good and comfortable, then one of these little young braves takes a pumpkin, hollows it out, cuts a little eye slit in it, sticks it on his head, and gets down in the water and he goes up in the river and he can just reach under and grab their feet and just pull them under ducks the other ducks aren't alerted or nothing and he can just take them under and stick them in his little belt and then just go around and just snagging them everywhere why because they had got accustomed ah, it's really not that bad there's no danger here there's nothing there you have to understand that as a child of god there is this little place of grace and you can say, the Bible says not to mess with this. But then I decided I was going to jack with it a little bit and I was going to mess with it. Ah, it didn't hurt me. Well, you're living in an incredible place of grace. But if we begin to willfully do things, then we begin to think, oh, it, it's, it really doesn't. It's really not bad. It really doesn't hurt me. It really isn't going to bring destruction into my life. And then we keep messing with it a lot. Pretty soon, all of a sudden, the enemy has its way. And we can't take advantage of the fact that there is this grace that protects our lives. We have to walk in light. We have to pursue the things of God. We have to keep everything exposed to the goodness of God so that we can live the life God has called us to live. And as we close, we have to understand that we have to walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, not as goofy little ducks that can be tricked, with some floating pumpkins. But as wise, those that know what's happening, knows what ha that's going on behind the scenes, making the most of every opportunity because the days of evil there are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or excess. Instead, 
be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you and I are going to be filled with something. Jesus used the parables all the time because nature, so much in nature, so much in the natural is reflective of the spiritual. And seeing the, the truth is, nature abhors a vacuum. We say that in school all the time. We won't be empty. We will be filled with something. So be filled with the Spirit. That's where the Spirit of wisdom comes from. And we understand that that is true. First Corinthians 1 tells us that it's because of Him that you are in Christ who became for us wisdom from God. That's our righteousness and holiness and redemption. And Romans 16 says, To the only wise God is one of His attributes. He is wise. Be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. See, God has truly brought us life in walking in love, in light, and in wisdom. Those things enable us to live the life that really is truly life. This morning, as we're bringing it to a close, we want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to receive the life that is truly life. So if everyone could bow your heads and close your eyes right quick.